Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including supporting material, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash AJD. This project was supported by an educational grant from Insight Biosciences International Sol. Welcome to this peer voice activity on molecular testing and personalizing treatment planning in cholangiocarcinoma. This activity comprises a series of six streaming episodes featuring Dr. Lorenza Rimasa. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, I'm Lorenza Rimasa. I'm a GI oncologist dedicated to hepatobiliary cancer at Humanitas University and Humanitas Research Hospital in Milan, Italy. Welcome to this activity on the crucial role of molecular testing in cholangiocarcinoma and the targeted treatment options currently available for patients with advanced cholangiocarcinoma. In this first episode, I will address current European recommendations for molecular testing and targeted treatments for patients with cholangiocarcinoma. Cholangiocarcinoma is a cancer of the biliary tract, is the second most common primary liver cancer, is a rare tumor, 3% of gastrointestinal uh, cancer, but the incidence is uh, increasing even in, in uh, uh, countries historically with a low incidence. Uh, on average, the incidence is 0.3 to 6 per um, 100,000 people per year. Cholangiocarcinoma is not a single disease. We have the intrahepatic and the extrahepatic, and the extrahepatic is divided in perihilar and distal. Intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma arises from the bile ductules and the segmental ducts. The perihilar arises from the left, right, and common hepatic duct, while the distal cholangiocarcinoma arises from the common bile duct. Cholangiocarcinoma is a cancer rich in actionable alterations. There are different uh, molecular alterations um, associated to the different primary tumor sites, so intrahepatic and extrahepatic. And uh, um, the most common alterations are represented by IDH1 mutations, approximately observed in 20% of cases, and FGFR2 gene fusions, observed in approximately 10 to 15% of cases. And these two alterations are almost exclusively observed in intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. Then we have HER2 amplification or mutation, most frequently observed in extrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma or gallbladder cancer, and others alteration, other alterations like MSI high status and tract gene fusions, BRAF mutations, PIC3CA mutations, BRCA mutations, and metamplifications with different percentages. For these uh, alterations, uh, there are different ESCAT recommendation levels. ESCAT is the ESMO scale for clinical actionability of molecular targets, and there are so different recommendations for this testing. And the highest ESCAT levels is for IDH1, FGFR2, and BRAF. The uh, therapeutic landscape for patients with cholangiocarcinoma in Europe has uh, changed for more than 10 years. Uh, starting from 2010, uh, we had only chemotherapy with the cisplatin gemcitabine for patients with advanced disease. Then we had uh, two other uh, chemotherapy options, 
Cape Cytabine for uh, the adjuvant setting, and Fulfox for patients uh, with advanced disease previously treated with cisplatin gemcitabine. But in the most recent years, other options became available like immunotherapy and targeted agents. In particular, in uh, first line, the new standard of care is represented by a combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy, so cisplatin, gemcitabine, and durvalumab. And in patients previously treated with uh, chemotherapy or chemoimmunotherapy, we have different treatment options based on the different molecular alterations. So we have uh, uh, pemigatinib for patients with FGFR2 gene fusions and futibatinib, and ivozidinib for patients with IDH1 mutations. Then we have entrectinib and larotrectinib for patients with entract gene fusion, and pembrolizumab for patients with MSI high status. The ESMO guidelines uh, include uh, the new treatment options uh, uh, already mentioned. For patients with uh, uh, advanced cholangiocarcinoma, locally advanced or advanced or metastatic, the molecular profiling is key. Um, the first-line treatment uh, is now cisplatin, gemcitabine, plus or minus durvalumab. And this depends on the availability of immunotherapy in different countries. And the molecular profiling is key because the second-line treatment is based on the results of the molecular profiling. For patients with no actionable alterations, Folfox is the standard of care, and we can also consider chemotherapy with a fluorouracil or capecitabine, uh, plus or minus irnotecan. For patients with actionable alterations, the standard of care is the um, targeted agent. There are uh, drugs that are approved in Europe, like for patients with the IDH1 mutation, ivozidinib, for patients with FGFR2 gene fusion, uh, pemigatinib or futibatinib, and for patients with MSI high status, pembrolizumab. There are other alterations with no drugs approved in Europe, but in some cases, these drugs are available in um, programs like uh, early access programs or in clinical trials. So it's important to have the results, uh, the complete results of the molecular profiling. For instance, for BRAF mutation, we can use dabrafenib and trametinib. And for HER2 uh, overexpression or amplification, we can use the combination of trastuzumab plus pertuzumab. There are also ESMO uh, recommendations for the NGS and liquid biopsy in cholangiocarcinoma. First, parallel sequencing of several genes using focused NGS is preferred over single gene testing because we can spare tissue and time. NGS can be carried out on formalin-fixed and paraffin-embedded tumor tissue and is well suited for tissue biopsies. Alternatively, in some cases, liquid biopsies using uh, cell-free uh, tumor DNA may be considered if uh, not enough tissue, not enough tumor tissue is available for the NGS. And importantly, the um, discussion with uh, molecular pathologists, molecular biologists, or the molecular tumor board is strongly recommended to interpret the results of the molecular profiling. Thank you for watching and join me at the next episode where I will discuss how the multidisciplinary team can provide molecular testing for patients with advanced cholangiocarcinoma in a timely and effective way. Hello, I'm Lorenza Rimassa. In this episode, I will address some of the challenges of molecular testing for patients with cholangiocarcinoma and how the multidisciplinary team can facilitate this process. The multidisciplinary team has a key role in the management of patients with cholangiocarcinoma from the diagnosis 
to the molecular profiling to the uh, treatment decision. Uh, for the molecular profiling, it's uh, very important that all the specialists involved in the management of patients with cholangiocarcinoma are aware of the importance and uh, of the uh, molecular profiling and of the process. So uh, in the multidisciplinary team, medical oncologists, uh, surgeons, gastroenterologists, interventional radiologists, pathologists, molecular biologists should be uh, involved and, sh and should work together to have the optimal results. In general, gastroenterologists or medical oncologists um, order the uh, molecular um, profiling. And uh, it's important that the interventional radiologists or the gastroenterologists who uh, does the biopsy are informed and aware of the aim of the biopsy. So we have to collect enough tissue for the diagnosis and for the molecular profiling. And then the pathologists uh, and or the molecular biologists uh, should discuss uh, with the um, treating physicians, with the clinicians, uh, the results of the uh, molecular profiling. There are different steps that should be uh, considered. First, imaging. We, have to, uh, we need to have a good tumor assessment. Then the biopsy technique that uh, should allow to collect the best uh, tumor tissues and an adequate uh, amount of tumor tissue with an adequate tumor content. And then it's also important that the tumor tissue handling to avoid material deterioration before the exam. So there are some recommendations of uh, best practices to optimize a biopsy for patients with a cholangiocarcinoma. First, we have to balance the biopsy benefits and risks for each patient. Then there are um, clear standards for biopsy collection, including specimen parameters, biopsy uh, type and technique, and preservation parameters. For intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, in general, uh, we prefer um, uh, core uh, biopsy to improve the tumor cell content. This is not possible for patients with extrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, where the biopsy is often uh, uh, performed during endoscopic procedure, but if possible, uh, the ideal is to collect um, more tissue. For the pathology, it is important an adequate macro and micro dissection of the sample to enhance tumor cell content. And when uh, we order an NGS, it's important to provide the rational and goals of the biopsy specimen for biomarker analysis. And the communication between the medical oncologist or gastroenterologist and the pathologist and molecular biologist is key to obtain uh, the best results. The European Network for the Study of Cholangiocarcinoma, ENSCA, has recently published recommendations around the functioning of the multidisciplinary team. There are different points important to uh, take into account. Uh, patients should be discussed at diagnosis and each time a treatment decision should be made. And in the multidisciplinary team, all the specialists involved in the management of patients with cholangiocarcinoma should be included, not all the physicians, but also nurses, for instance, uh, palliative care um, physicians and social workers or dietitians. Um, another important point is not only the treatment decision should be considered in the multidisciplinary team meeting, but also patients' supportive care needs and patients' preferences. However, there are still barriers to effective molecular testing for patients with a cholangiocarcinoma. 
Ideally, patients should be seen at a referral center with expertise in cholangiocarcinoma. Uh, in, in some cases, in, in real practice, this is not feasible. And so in uh, small centers, in peripheral centers, uh, there are barriers uh, to the effective molecular testing for cholangiocarcinoma. Uh, these barriers include a limited understanding of the impact of testing for actionable mutations in cholangiocarcinoma. So education is key to increase molecular testing and improve patient outcomes. Another barrier is represented by the limited or lack of resources for molecular testing, or in some cases, um, limited accessibility to the test, especially in smaller centers or community hospitals. So as I was saying, it is recommended that clinicians reach out to connect remotely to the multidisciplinary team in a referral center if it's not possible that patients move to the referral center. Thank you for watching and join me at the next episode where I will present a case of patients with advanced cholangiocarcinoma and FGFR2 rearrangement. Hello, I'm Lorenza Rimassa. In this episode, I will discuss the case of a female patient with cholangiocarcinoma and FGFR2 uh, targetable alteration. Lina is a 47-year-old woman who presented in May 2022 with a persistent abdominal pain. In the medical history, nothing relevant except for um, hypothyroidism in uh, therapy with levothyroxine and hepatitis C that was treated with the DAA in 2020 with a complete response, a sustained viral response. In June 2022, the patient underwent different uh, images and the CT scan showed multiple intrahepatic nodules. The maximum was 10 per 6 centimeters with a large pelvic mass, 13 centimeters, peritoneal carcinomatosis and celiac lymph nodes. The tumor markers, CA199 and CA125, uh, were in the normal range. The patient underwent a biopsy of the pelvic mass that showed at the histological exam cholangiocarcinoma. The eco-performance status was 1 and blood tests show no significant alterations. Based on the uh, diagnosis, uh, from July to December 2022, uh, the patient received the first-line chemotherapy with a cisplatin gemcitabine associated to durvalumab. This was administered for eight cycles. The most relevant adverse event was a grade 2 thrombocytopenia, and the best response to the treatment was a stable disease. In January 2022, the CT scan showed... Um, stable disease in the um, known lesions, but the appearance of a massive ascites. Uh, the tumor marker was, uh, was still in the normal range and uh, the clinical conditions uh, were still uh, good. So we discussed the multidisciplinary team, the CT scan results, and the CT scan images were revised and it was shown a peritoneal progressive disease. Ascites was managed with uh, medical therapy, diuretics, and albumin supplementation, and NGS testing was requested uh, in, in the frame of a clinical trial. So in February 2022, this needed uh, three to four weeks, an FGFR2 rearrangement was um, observed. Based on these results, uh, Lina received uh, from March 2023 a uh, treatment with pemigatinib, an FGFR inhibitor, at the dose of 13.5 milligrams per day 
two weeks on, one week off. Pemigatinib, based on the results of the 5202 trial, has been approved in 2021 in Europe for patients previously treated with the systemic therapy and with FGFR2 um, gene fusion. Um, patient, uh, uh, the patient started the treatment in March 2023. In May, she had a partial response with a decrease in tumor diameters and complete ascites resolution. And in September 2023, the partial response was maintained, and there was also a decrease in the solid component of the pelvic mass. In terms of adverse event, the treatment was quite well tolerated. There was a recurrent grade two hyperphosphatemia that is a um, typical uh, adverse event related to the mechanism of action of uh, FGFR inhibitors. And uh, due to this uh, recurrent grade two hyperphosphatemia, we had to interrupt the treatment for a short period of time. And when the, hyperphos- the hyperphosphatemia decreased to grade one, we started the treatment again. To obtain an improvement in the adverse event, we uh, suggested diet modifications and we prescribed phosphate binders and diuretics. Another adverse event that was uh, uh, noted was grade one eye toxicity. This was not uh, of particular relevance, but it's important to um, remember that eye toxicity is uh, a potential adverse event of FGFR inhibitors. Uh, based on the um, hyperphosphatemia, when we restarted treatment, the dose was reduced from 13.5 milligrams to 9 milligrams per day. And uh, the treatment is currently ongoing uh, in September 2023 with a confirmed partial response. Thank you for watching and join us at the next episode where I will discuss further therapeutic options for patients with cholangiocarcinoma with FGFR2 rearrangements or fusions. Hello, I'm Lorenza Rimassa. In this episode, I will discuss additional treatment options for patients with FGFR fusion positive or rearranged cholangiocarcinoma and what can be done when the disease progresses. Lina is a 48-year-old woman with FGFR2 rearranged intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. She presented in May 2022 with abdominal pain. Uh, she underwent uh, um, testing and she had a diagnosis of metastatic intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma. So she, she received first-line treatment with cisplatin, gemcitabine, and durvalumab for eight cycles with a stable disease and then progressed with ascites. A molecular testing was performed and FGFR2 uh, gene fusion rearrangement was uh, observed. So she received in second-line pemigatinib uh, for uh, between March and September 2023. Due to uh, grade 2 uh, hyperphosphatemia, the dose of pemigatinib was reduced from 13.5 mm- milligrams per day to 9 milligrams per day, and the best response to the treatment was partial response. Pemigatinib was prescribed uh, based on the results of the 5202. This is a single-arm phase 2 trial that tested pemigatinib in patients with FGFR2 fusions or rearrangement. The primary endpoint of the trial was overall response rate. The trial was positive, enrolled uh, approximately 100 patients in this cohort, and the response rate was 37%. Median progression-free survival was 7 months, and median overall survival was 17.5 months. 
Femigatinib is not the only FGFR inhibitor approved in Europe. There is also futibatinib based on the results of Phoenix CCA2, that is another phase two single arm trial that enrolled previously treated patients with intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma and FGFR2 gene fusions or rearrangements. Patients were treated with a futibatinib 20 milligrams per day continuously, and the primary endpoint of the trial was overall response rate. The response rate was 41.7% and the median duration of response 9.5 months. Median progression-free survival was 8.9 months and median overall survival 20 months. The safety profile of pemigatinib and futibatinib is similar, but it's not completely the same. The most frequently observed adverse event is hyperphosphatemia in more than 50% of the patients with both drugs. Other adverse events include alopecia, taste alteration, diarrhea, fatigue, stomatitis, skin toxicity, and eye toxicity. For patients who progress on an FGFR inhibitor, like our patients, when she will progress on pemigatinib, there is the possibility to uh, retest, uh, the redo another molecular profiling on tumor tissue or as liquid biopsy. Any if an FGFR2 uh, resistant mutation is detected, it, there is the possibility to treat the patients with another FGFR2 inhibitor. In fact, the FGFR2 inhibitors are not um, completely similar. There are some differences in the molecular aspects of the drugs and in the binding features. Pemigatinib is a reversible FGFR1 to 3 inhibitor. Futibatinib is irreversible FGFR1 to 4 inhibitor. And a new drug, really 4008, is an irreversible FGFR2 selective inhibitor. This last drug is still investigational. So it's possible to um, retest the patient when they progress and to evaluate the possibility in clinical practice or more frequently in clinical trials to treat with another FGFR inhibitor. Thank you for watching and join us at the next episode where I will discuss a case of a patient with cholangiocarcinoma with molecular alterations that are not currently targetable. Hello, I'm Lorenza Rimassa. In this episode, I will discuss the case of a female patient with cholangiocarcinoma with several non-targetable molecular alterations. Marta is a 56-year-old woman that in January 2022 presented with malaise and weakness. The family uh, history of cancer showed paternal uncle and aunt with HCC and mother with brain cancer. The medical history was negative except for osteoporosis. Due to the symptoms, she underwent uh, an abdominal ultrasound that showed a liver tumor of 9 centimeters. So she received a CT scan that confirmed the diagnosis and showed also two abdominal nodes. A liver biopsy um, was positive for cholangiocarcinoma. Then the patient underwent a PET scan that uh, showed an uptake of the liver mass and two lymph nodes that were non-local lymph nodes, one at the cardiophrenic angle and one interaortocaval. The tumor markers were uh, elevated. AFP was 178.9 and CA199, 353. The patient was uh, screened in a clinical trial for the molecular profiling, and the NGS showed several alterations. None of them was targetable. 
So we started treatment with the standard of care in first line, represented by cisplatin, gemcitabine, plus durvalumab. And the patient uh, received the treatment from April to October 2022. At the first CT scan in June 2022, there was a partial response. The uh, liver lesion decreases, uh, decreased from 9 cm to, uh, to 5 cm. And at the second CT scan in September 2022, the liver lesion decreased to uh, 3.6 cm. And the tumor markers decrease until the normal ranges. In terms of adverse events, uh, the uh, most important adverse event was neutropenia. So we had to administer a, a GCSF to maintain the dose intensity. Considering the results at the CT scan, the liver mass decreased from 9 cm to 3.6 cm, we decided to discuss the patients at the multidisciplinary team meeting to consider the possibility for surgery. So we decided to do another PET scan that showed a decrease in the uh, liver uptake and no uptake, so a complete metabolic response of the two lymph nodes. And the abdominal MRI showed only the liver lesion of four centimeters. So this was not a standard of care because at presentation, the patient had non-local regional lymph nodes, but considering the age the good clinical conditions, the excellent response to chemoimmunotherapy, and the strong motivation of the patients, we decided to uh, perform surgery. So in November 2022, we started with the exploratory, uh, explorative laparotomy, but unfortunately, during liver mobilization, hemodynamic instability occurred, uh, amine support was required, and this is was related to the location of the tumor uh, the central location of the tumor, uh, which compressed the uh, abdominal vessels. So surgery was not feasible. In the TOPAS-1 trial, uh, surgical resection was allowed, and following resection, patients could continue maintenance with durvalumab according to clinician's choice. So this was our initial plan. Then resection was not possible, but we decided to go on with the treatment and the patient received two further uh, cycles of uh, um, durvalumab from December 2022 to January 2023. In January, the CT scan showed the disease progression in the liver and uh, lymph nodes and uh, right, uh, right pleural effusion and ascites. SCA199 started to increase and was a 36. So the patient had multiple um, genetic alterations and so we discussed uh, uh, the case at the molecular tumor board. No targeted therapies uh, were available in clinical practice. Uh, there was a um, PIK3CA deletion, so we discussed the possibility of treatment with a PI3K uh, inhibitor, but in the end, no targeted agents uh, were available for this patient. So we started the, the standard second-line therapy with a Folfox, and the patients received Folfox, uh, from February to July 2023 with a partial response and resolution of a pleural effusion in ascites, but then after eight cycles, uh, a disease progression again with a progression in the liver and uh, nodes and right, again right pleural effusion in ascites. And uh, CA199 increased from negative uh, levels to 102. And so in September 2023, 
after an open discussion with the patients about the uh, treatment options and the prognosis, we decided to start a third-line treatment with the Folfiri. That is uh, uh, ongoing. Thank you for watching and join us at the next and last episode where I will discuss the future of treatment options in patients with cholangiocarcinoma. Hello, I'm Lorenza Rimassa. In this last episode, I will summarize emerging therapeutic options for patients with cholangiocarcinoma with emphasis on the first-line immunotherapy and its possible impact on targeted therapies in the second line and beyond. TOPAS-1 is a phase three randomized trial that tested Durvalumab plus GEMSYS versus placebo plus GEMSYS in the first line setting. Chemotherapy was administered for eight cycles and then Durvalumab was continued as a maintenance. The trial was positive with an improvement in median overall survival uh, from 11.3 months to 12.9 months. But importantly, the patients who received um, Durvalumab combined with the GEMSYS has a longer uh, survival. And especially if we look at the overall survival rates at different time points, there is a benefit for Durvalumab compared to placebo. At two years, 24% of the patients are alive in the uh, Durvalumab chemotherapy arm compared to 11% in the placebo arm. In terms of safety, the combination is very well tolerated with no new safety signals and the observed toxicity with the Durvalumab plus chemotherapy are similar to what we can expect from immunotherapy or uh, chemotherapy. Another trial showed the benefit of chemoimmunotherapy in the first-line setting. This is the Keynote 966, another phase 3 randomized trial that tested the pembrolizumab plus GEMSYS versus placebo plus GEMSYS. There is a difference in the administration of chemotherapy because in this trial, only cisplatin was stopped after eight cycles, while gemcitabine could have been continued together with the pembrolizumab as a maintenance. The trial is positive. The median overall survival was 12.7 months in the uh, pembrolizumab arm compared to 10.9 months in the placebo arm. And also in the Keynote 966, the safety profile of the combination of chemo plus immunotherapy was uh, good. The, the first line, so it's changing or has already changed. It's no longer chemotherapy, but chemotherapy plus durvalumab. Uh, this is not available in all countries in Europe, but were available. And also in the uh, ESMO guidelines, it is stated that the uh, first line uh, standard of care should be GEMSYS plus or minus Durvalumab. So what happens to the second line drugs that, that, that um, had been tested after GEMSYS? We, we still use uh, them in the second line setting. There is no reason uh, not to use them after chemotherapy plus immunotherapy. So the first line, the standard of care in first line is chemotherapy plus immunotherapy. And in second line, as shown in the uh, ESMO guidelines, the treatment should be based on the molecular profiling. For FGFR inhibitors, there are um, future perspectives. For instance, pemigatinib is being tested in first line in a phase three trial, the FITA302 trial, versus cisplatin plus gemcitabine in patients with FGFR2 gene fusions or rearrangements. And there are ongoing trials testing the combination of FGFR inhibitors and immunotherapy in previously treated patients. To conclude, I would like to uh, briefly summarize the key points covered in this micro-episode. 
The therapeutic landscape for patients with advanced cholangiocarcinoma has completely changed and become more complex in recent years, moving from chemotherapy only to chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and targeted agents. Patients with cholangiocarcinoma ideally should be evaluated at a referral or expert center so that it can be discussed at the multidisciplinary team at the molecular tumor board. This is not feasible in all the centers. Molecular testing is key to identify actionable alterations and provide available treatments for these alterations and allow patients to be enrolled in clinical trials. The role of the multidisciplinary team is central for making this as effective as, pos as possible. Since not all molecular alterations are targetable, discussion in the molecular tumor board may help find treatment options in clinical trials. Thank you for watching, and I hope you have found this educational activity useful for your clinical practice. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.